Hey, this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. We're continuing to go through uh, the book of Acts. We didn't really intentionally start to go through the book of Acts. Uh, Our intention was to highlight the role of the Holy Spirit in the church. One of the big reminders we're going to see today from Acts chapter 5 is that the the church is not a building, uh, it's not a temple as it used to be, but the church is the people of God. It's a living organization, a living organism known as the church. And so um, if you want, you can join me in the book of Acts chapter 5 is where we're going to pick up today. And to recap, just to get us to this point, I can do this, I think, in about one minute. All right, here we go. I think uh, where we are to help us get to this point or to understand where we are to get to this point I can sum it up like this. God in Jesus Christ promised us that He would send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would have these certain roles of convicting us of our sin and then once we become a child of God, convicting us of our righteousness, reminding us who we are as a child of God. He fulfilled that promise in Acts chapter 2. We see the Holy Spirit descend and, and fall upon the church and some really strange things and beautiful things happened where people started speaking in languages that were being heard in different languages to other people. Miraculous things happened. Uh, healings happened. All kinds of signs and wonders were happening and it was all showing that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that the nation of Israel had been waiting for and the one through whom God would save the entire world. Not just Israel, but the entire world. And so this Holy Spirit is filling the church, and it's not just like in the Old Testament for certain kings or prophets or or priests, but this Holy Spirit is for who? For all believers, right? For everyone, every man, every woman, every child who calls on the name of Jesus has access to this Holy Spirit to live within them, not just be out there. That's why when I was praying earlier, I said, God, you look down upon us. And in a way, He does look down upon us, but, but God is here with us. He is actually filling me right now. He's filling you if you are in Christ. He is filling you right now. Uh, he has His living power and presence is living within you. Just a huge deal that is often overlooked. So getting here to Acts chapter 5, we've, we've seen uh, the apostles um, suffer persecution already. They've been told to shut your mouths when it comes to this Jesus stuff, or we're going to make your life really miserable. Uh, We'll put you in jail. We'll do all these things to you. And they said, basically, you can do what you want to do to us, but we're not going to stop saying the truth of who Jesus is because it's true. So these people who were like Peter, who ran from trouble when Jesus was being crucified, now instead of running from trouble, he's standing up very courageously saying, I'm going to continue to preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus because it's true. So you see a visible change within him too. Now we get to an interesting story that um, maybe 
we wouldn't choose to preach on just a typical Sunday. So this, if this is your first Sunday here, welcome. We're going to talk about people who went to church and died, all right? So let's jump, jump right in. Chapter 5, verse 1, Ananias and Sapphira. It says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, this is important because I don't know if we uh, probably didn't talk about this much, but just before this, all the believers were selling a lot of their things and they were sharing it among one, amongst themselves because um, they realized their perspective changed drastically. Like, whoa, we're not here to build a kingdom for the here and now. There's a much greater kingdom that's here. And so it changed their perspective. They weren't holding on to the things of the world. They were letting go. And they were saying, how can we bless one another so that we are in... Um, uh, that we are not in need. And so this was happening. So they go and they uh, put it at the apostles' feet, uh, the rest of it. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out to be buried. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. This is the word of the Lord. So welcome, right? What an interesting story where you would have a lot of questions. I know some questions that immediately come to my mind is like, I thought Jesus took all the, the wrath. Why, is, uh, why are they getting judged so harshly and dying like this? I mean, I thought this was the age of grace. Uh, those, that's the first question. The big one that pops into my mind is, um, and, and then other people have explained this in other ways too, like, uh, like maybe Peter <clears throat> had, a, had the power to do this and maybe misused it. Uh, I think that is a stretch for sure. I don't think that's at all what the Bible is indicating here. So what I believe is happening here is that God is uh, somehow being merciful. It may be hard to see that, but what He's doing is, is showing the church that a new age has come. That the temple, if you remember in the Old Testament, the, the temple was such a holy place that unless the priest went through this rigid protocol, if he entered into the temple, entered into the, um, the Holy of Holies without going through all these protocols, he would die. And there were even you know, instances where they would tie a rope or, or around the leg of the priest in case he did die, they could pull him out without having to go in and themselves. And so this realization that the presence of where God is is so holy 
that if we enter into that presence with any flaw, any blemish, we're dead. Do you remember uh, in Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah has this great vision of, of the Lord? And Isaiah was a holy man. And he has this great vision of the Lord, high and exalted on the throne. And as holy and as righteous as he is, he says, Woe to me, I am undone. Which basically translated means I'm a dead man. Because I have seen the glory of God. And I've been in His presence. And I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among people with unclean lips. I mean, their lips are really dirty, right? And so uh, it, it's just like this, this, this fact that I'm in this powerful presence of God and I'm a dead man unless there's the mercy of God that keeps me alive. I have two points for today. Uh, the first one is God will not be mocked. And the second one is fear the Lord. God will not be mocked. And the second one is fear the Lord. You'll see here twice in a minute where it said great fear seized the church or all those who heard it. But the first one I will start with, God will not be mocked, is this reality that if we're not careful, we can take God's grace and His mercy and we can really make it cheap to where we, we view that as a license to do whatever we want to do because we feel like there's no consequences for our actions. That we feel like we can just do what we want to do because God is a God of grace and you know, who are you to judge? God says, judge not, lest ye be judged. Um, don't condemn others, those type of things. But we also need to remember, too, that, that God will not be mocked. And that's not something that is isolated to this one section. I, I heard um, N.T. Wright is one of my favorite, probably my favorite New Testament scholar. Um, his first two initials, N.T., don't stand for New Testament, by the way. Um, but um, <laughs> Tom Wright is what he goes by as well. Um, but he was talking about, you know, if, if I were writing this back in when Luke wrote this, I don't know if I would have necessarily chosen to put this in the Scripture because it's a little hard to wrestle with. Um, but I, you know, but he was, he was being funny by saying that. But what are the reasons that this section is here? Why is it so important that we know this point, uh, part? Well, a, a couple things about God will not be mocked. Number one, <clears throat> Ananias and Sapphira didn't, they weren't required when they sold their property to give everything to the church. There wasn't like this mandate where they had signed a covenant and like you have to go sell all your stuff and bring it back here and lay it at my feet, like Peter said. He didn't say that, any of that. What got them in trouble is they were trying to manipulate God. They went out and they sold the stuff and they were like, you know, we got, let's just say $100,000. I don't know what it was. $100,000 for the property, but, <clears throat> you know, everybody else is giving everything, but I don't really want to give everything. So let's just give like, 50,000 of it. We'll keep 50 for ourselves in case, you know, like a savings account. We'll put it in like a college fund for the kids, you know, in case this doesn't work out, you know. And so they're trying to manipulate some things. And what they do is they come in with this spirit of, of making light and mocking God and, and lying to God and saying, this is all we've sold it for. Here it is. And so God calls them out for that. And Ananias dies for it. Um. It says, you lied to, this is in verse 3, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and you've kept for yourself some of the money you received? It belonged to you before it was sold. And even after it was sold, the money was yours. What made you think to come in and lie to, the, to God about it? You could have come in and just given half, right? You didn't have to give all of it. But you're trying to manipulate God. And then he says this, 
You've not just lied to human beings, but you've lied to who? To God. This is one of those very key verses that remind us and show us that they give us the doctrine of the Trinity, where God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all equal. They're separate, but God is still one. And I know that makes terrible sense when it comes to math and maybe even logic, uh, or our, our, our logic anyway, but in God's world, you can even look back in Genesis and it says, God made, uh, let us make man in our image. Man means mankind there. Let us, so why is God saying us? Well, there's a plurality in his singularity. And so this is one of those things too, like you've lied to the Holy Spirit, you've lied to God, not just a being that represents God like an angel or a messenger, but you've actually lied to God himself. And so he died and great fear seized the, the church. And so in, in a few <clears throat> books later, Paul is writing uh, to the church at Galatia. And so this first point of God will not be mocked is actually also in Galatians chapter 6 as well. It says, do, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, and that's talking about the Holy Spirit here, from the Holy Spirit will reap eternal life. And so one of the principles of our relationship with God is to have this reverential respect that he, He's not going to be deceived. We can't pull one over on Him. We can fool people. We can lie to people. We can lie to God, but God will not allow us to get away with that. Uh, I am, want to be clear on one thing. I don't think that this is a, um, a mandated thing that when you do try to pull things over God's eyes that He's going to zap you dead. Uh, I don't, that's not what this is saying. Uh, this is a very um, unique section of Scripture but it also is a healthy reminder of the fact of, of who we're worshiping. We're worshiping a God who's so high and, and uh, exalted and above all that He's the one who makes the rules. He's the one who um, is, is worthy to be able to pass judgment. It, it's so easy for us, oh, I don't have time to go into this. I'll just make a broad statement and don't ask me questions about it. Um, and so... <clears throat> It's very easy for us to question God and to put ourselves at the, as the center of authority in our lives. And the Christian faith reminds us that we're not the center. It's Jesus who is the center. It's God who is above all. And so He will not be mocked. And so He will not be mocked. So this is a very kind of a wake-up call. And it uh, leads to the second verse, second point, where fear the Lord is the second point. So God will not be mocked. Fear the Lord. <clears throat> What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, in this case, in verse 5, when Ananias died, great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And then his wife comes in, makes the same mistake. She dies. And in verse 11 says, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Fearing the Lord is a complicated, large answer that I'll try to do my best to cover a few facets of that. 
there is this, like Isaiah had in chapter 6, reality that when we, were in, when we are in the presence of God, it will be a fearful thing. We will see how great He is. You can see that even with Jesus when He calmed the storm, when He was in the boat with His disciples and He said, quiet to the wind, be still to the ocean, and it did it. And the people that were in the boat with them were like, oh, snap, who is this? And they were, they were, they were scared. Like, who can speak and have the impossible happen? That's power. And so there's this fear of, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a dead man. Uh, I didn't share this, guys. Uh, some of you know this, but so when I was in my tough days of having COVID a couple weeks back, I, I had a panic attack, and I'd never had one of those before, but I was up fixing lunch, and I got lightheaded, and I'm like, oh, goodness. Um, so I tried to breathe. I was fixing lunch when I couldn't taste or smell anything, which is just sad to begin with, uh, but I, I couldn't, uh, I was getting dizzy, and then I'm like, oh, it's, and it kind of scared me. I'm like, oh, I need to go sit down before I fall, so I turned the stove off, and I went, and I started walking into the living room to, in the, di- the, yeah, the living room to, to sit down, and my, my legs got weak, like my strength was leaving my body, and that scared me. I'm like, oh, I'm about to pass out, and I was home alone. Uh, not like the movie, but I was home alone. <laughs> and I was like, oh, goodness, I'm going to pass out here, and the only person here is my dog, and she'll take care of me, but there's, she's limited in what she can do. Um, but so uh, I tried to call Carrie, but she was walking, and her phone was silent. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to call 911, you know, because I'm not going to be that prideful man who's like, I'm not calling because I'm not sick, I'm strong. I'm not going to die because of that, you know. <laughs> I'd rather die from you know, embarrassment that I called the ambulance when I didn't need it. So uh, I, uh, I call, and um, can, can you come get me? <laughs> um, and so uh, <laughs> it's Brian Regan, if you, yeah, yeah. So uh, it is, he's right, it is awkward to call 911 for yourself. Um, and so um, I, I call, and, I'm, and the reason I call is because I'm breathing, but I keep getting dizzier, and I keep losing more strength. It's like, it feels like my lungs are numb to oxygen, like they're not working. Like I feel the air going in and out, but it's just not working. And I get, I get worked up and my heart rate gets really high and I call and they say, okay, sit down and try to relax your breathing. Anyway, by the time they get there, I, I started to feel better. Um, Carrie had come home too and um, they checked my vitals. My oxygen was fine. Long story short, they're like, it sounds like you had a panic attack. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound very masculine in my you know, uh, ability to have short-sightedness in what is and isn't masculinity. Um, and so uh, it was very humbling. And I was like, well, you know, now I have a greater empathy for those. Not that I didn't have sympathy, but now I can feel when people talk about panic attacks, I know that that's, that's scary. But for a few moments, I was like, all right, this is how it's going to go down. All right, I'm about to go. And so I feel like when we're in the presence of God, that same weakness is going to be exposed. And oh, there's nothing I can do right now. I mean, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed by this power of who God is. If it's not for His grace, if it's not for Him speaking life over me, then I am undone. I am a dead man. 
And this fear of the Lord is we have to have this as part of our faith. This, this reality that He is God. There's this reverence that's part of it. It's not just that this, I'm not terrified of God, but there is that aspect that's there. So I'm not saying that's not there. I'm just saying it's more than that. But there's this reverential awe of like, oh, wow, look at how powerful you are. Psalm 111, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9 says the same thing, and you can see the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom in other places as well. Proverbs 10 says, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the wicked's, the years of the wicked will be shortened. You know, we can see that from Ananias and Sapphira. Their years were shortened because they did something wicked. Proverbs 19.13 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. I mean, the fear of the Lord is just all throughout the Scripture. This reverential awe, this awareness that God is God and I am not. It's a reality check that has to be part of our lives. God will not be mocked. Fear the Lord. And I think I'll close with this. The temple in the Old Testament could not be entered unless you were perfectly clean, unless you'd gone through all the things God had prescribed Letter by letter, you went through everything, and then you could enter the presence of God. Now, how cool is this? What Jesus did for us is met all of that criteria so that we are perfectly righteous. And not only can we enter into the presence of God, but the presence of God enters into us. You see how powerful that is? How amazing that is that God would do that for us. That what Jesus did for us supersedes anything and everything all the Old Testament priests had to do to be in the presence of God. And even when they were in the presence of God in that moment, they didn't experience the Holy Spirit the way we do now. It is a powerful privilege for us to be able to have the Holy Spirit living within us us, to empower us with His presence. So when we say fear the Lord, there's this reverence that comes with that, but there's also this delight of knowing that when we're in Christ, that we have nothing else to fear. We don't have to be fearful of death because we know the other side of death we're going to have this resurrection, that God is going to make things right. We don't have to be fearful of what the, this world brings, all the challenges in this world. The, this early church, they were selling all their stuff, and they were like, it doesn't matter. What matters is we know God, and God knows us, and we are part of Him bringing His kingdom to this world. So I just want to challenge you and encourage you in your faith to know that God loves you so much that He went through all the trouble, all the process, all the the challenges, all the the difficulties to go to the cross for you, to die for you, to be resurrected for you. And now He is reigning at the right hand of God and He's interceding for you. We talked about this before this Holy Spirit sermon series. He intercedes for us and He prays for us all the time. He loves you. 
He blesses you. So when you fear the Lord, don't fear the Lord like He's, oh snap, He's going to zap me like Ananias and Sapphira. At the same time, don't mock Him either. Don't test Him that, right? Don't say, I can do whatever I want to do. That's the spirit that got them in trouble. But so you don't have this fear like, oh, God's going to abandon me because Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He has not abandoned you. He's moved in when other people would move out. He comes to you when sometimes maybe you feel like moving out on Him. So God loves you, He blesses you, and it's His promises that give us victory and give us a holy respect and fear of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. We thank you for not uh, excluding this story, uh, this, this historical event from your word. Thank you for putting this in here to remind us that you are a God who is holy and that your holy temple has, has shifted from a building to your people. And so, Lord, as we walk as your children, I pray that we would walk in holiness, that we would desire not to prove our holiness to you or to try to prove ourselves to you or our worth to you, but I pray, Lord, we would just receive the, the love that you have for us and just want with all of our heart to live a life that would bring pleasure to you, that would bring joy to your heart. May we find joy and delight in one another. We pray for those in our church right now who are suffering and with sickness as you know the, the flu and <clears throat> colds and all those things come around this time of year not to mention you know COVID as well that's been a challenge so Lord, we we acknowledge you as the great healer and the one who uh, will strengthen our bodies and so we bless them and those who are traveling this week as well for Thanksgiving we we ask God that you would uh bless us and that we would find ways to bless your heart no matter whether we're here or traveling or at home or wherever we may be may you be the primary love in our lives in Jesus name Amen